Welcome to TNT with Teresa Quinlan and Reese Thomas. We are friends from across the pond on a life evolution. We want to bring you topics that challenge your status quo, guests that help you think differently, and nuggets of wisdom that spark being. Being what? You. Authentic you. Today we're recording on April Fools. However, this conversation is no joke. Our guests today are no joke. JC Imelkowski and Jiggy Yoon. JC is a certified project manager, resilience and burnout prevention coach, laughter leader, and a certifiable communication nerd with over 20 years experience in coaching, training, and leading teams. Using story, humor, and expertise, she has developed and delivered hundreds of learning sessions, teaching everyday tools and skills for better communication and relationships in our business and personal lives. She also did her first TED Talk, What's Your Rhubarb Pie? How Trauma Impacts Choice, in August of 2019. And when not training, she's usually reading, gardening, or spending time with her amazing partner. She loves her dog, and she probably loves your dog too. And Jiggy Yoon. Jiggy's a speaker and mindset coach helping competitive athletes, relentless entrepreneurs, and driven college students increase the longevity of their performance and demand for excellence. Unlike many other motivational speakers, Jiggy brings awareness to the importance of mental health, burnout prevention, and self-compassion, just as deeply as she focuses on intense work ethic, perseverance, and self-discipline. It's a tremendous pleasure for me to invite and have both JC and Jiggy on today's show. So sit back, relax, and drink it all in. So welcome to TNT. Jiggy, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much for having me, Ms. Teresa. You are most welcome. And JC, I'm Milkowski. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing so well. Thank you so much, Teresa. Can I just say, I also, I love this door that's in your background for people who are listening. You can't see it, but I love old architecture. I love homes that have like original, really high quality, great stuff. So are you in like an older kind of home? Yeah, the house is about 60 years old, and this is one of the original wood doors in it. Uh, when we redid some woodwork, we actually tried to match up to the tone here because it's just beautiful and rosy. Thank you. Th the door appreciates it too. <laughs> no, love to all. And and for our, our listeners as well, I'm wearing a Jiggy Yoon original vulnerability is dope, best high quality t-shirt I own by far. So if you need to check out some great attire. We'll make sure that we get Jiggy's website in the show notes so you can get yourself some good swag. Okay, our topic today, everyone, was very, I'm very excited about this. Oh, and maybe we should also say Reese isn't joining us today. <laughs> Reese is spending time with his family. And so us three ladies, we are going to jam on the topic of compassion and self-compassion. And oftentimes we find that when we come to a space in our life where we have a thing that is our thing, obsession in a good way, passion perhaps is another word to describe it. It comes from our personal experiences. We've had a life or we've had a thing that has driven us in this direction and we want to or are compelled to push it out into the world so that it can have a positive impact on other people. It's basically we make sometimes our mess our message, which I love that phrase. 
So JC, if you would kick us off and tell us a little bit about the personal story that brought you to this as your thing. Absolutely. So a uh, brief history on me is I grew up in a very challenging home environment. I grew up in domestic violence, experiencing physical, emotional, and sexual abuse. And I'm doing great now. After 20 some years of counseling, different modalities of therapy, I'm in a really good place, but it took a really long time to get there. And one thing that I didn't learn until I was in my early 30s is that I hated myself like literally loathed myself every day. It had been so internalized and it was so normalized for me that I didn't recognize that behavior until uh, I went to see my favorite counselor one day. And I love that I've had enough counselors that I have a favorite. This dude was amazing. Um, I went in and, and he said, how are you doing? I was like, oh, I'm having a rough day. Counselor says, well, what do you say to yourself when you have a rough day? without missing a beat. Oh, I tell myself to shut the fuck up. No one cares. Just be quiet. Put on your big girl panties. Why is this bothering you? Why is this so hard for you? Don't bother anyone else. Stop crying and shut the F up. Like just be done with it. Well, JC says, you sounds like you're not very nice to yourself. And I laughed at this dude until I cried like, oh my God, <laughs> what are people nice to themselves? And he said, yeah, they are. Oh, oh, oh. And it was like this epiphany moment that the way I treated myself, I'd been doing one thing for a long time, but I actually had a choice to do something else. And seeing that moment of choice was so life-changing. One of my foundational beliefs is choice is one of the only things we have, but you can't make a choice if you don't know it's there. So making the choice to be kind to ourselves and the choice for self-compassion changed my life so much. And it's one of the reasons I'm driven to help other people see and make that choice as well. Oh my God, what a great kick out. I know my brain is like on fire. I'm like, oh my God, that was so amazing. And Jiggy, you're just like nodding along. We're already- like, <laughs> I love this song. This is my favorite song. Preach it. Yeah, already. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us why you're nodding and then bring us into your story and experience. Yeah, I think um, I really resonated when Miss JC said that, you know, it was in her early thirties that she came to this realization because I'm not 30 yet. And I'm starting to think maybe I'm in a place where she was at, I'm 28, turning 29 this year. Um, but it also brings me a little comfort knowing that I don't have to have it all figured out by the time I'm 30 years old, because I'm going through that chapter now where I'm about to be close to 30. And I'm like, I need to have everything figured out and I have to be the best in everything. And I have to have everything together, but that's just not true. That's what I'm learning about life, that none of these notions about being 30, 40, 50 is actually not true at all. Um, so I think I just feel really seen and heard. And also when she said that she, some of her past stories also, I share those experiences as well. So I, the thing about me is that I really authentically connect with those who have stories of trauma. And I honestly hate saying that because I'm not saying that I can't connect with people who may have had sort of like, I don't want to say a regular life, but sort of kind of like gone through life in an okay way but I really resonate with those who 
have been through shit. I'm just going to say it. I connect with those who've been through shit because my life hasn't been easy at all. And so, um, yeah, I really appreciate it. Uh, Ms. JC share there as well. Um, my story, I think, roots from the expectations of high performance and standards, standards of excellence, because that's just the culture and the family standard that I grew up with. I was born and raised in Korea, and my family is extremely traditional. You know, it, I joke about it, but um, this notion that I have to bring honor to the family and that the A is never good enough and A plus is never good enough. It's A plus and an extra credit. You know, I, I have to get into a great school and I have to marry a doctor for some reason, but none of that is actually going to happen. But I grew up with these expectations, even as a child, only in, I was only in the second grade when I asked a question to a teacher and the teacher told me I was stupid for asking the question. And so I grew up thinking that I, I was never allowed to ask questions and I always had to have the answer in advance and I could never get anything wrong and I always had to be excellent and, and then some. And it just never felt good enough. Um, there was just no thing as a ceiling whatsoever. You think there's a ceiling and then you get there and then it turns out to be nothing and then you get to the next level and it turns out to be nothing. And being called stupid by my teacher when I was in the second grade, feeling so incredibly judged by my mother growing up, um, I was never allowed to even ex experience my emotions. So I didn't have self-awareness. I didn't have emotional intelligence. If I did cry, it was, it was either crying or complete rage. And I didn't know how to navigate either one. And whenever I allowed myself to experience that emotion, it was more so, oh, we'll just wait till she's done. Mm. It was never a dialogue where it's like, what's going on with you? How is this landing for you? What is this ex you're experiencing? No, nothing like that. I was never allowed to walk through it. I didn't even know what that looked like. So when I'm crying or I'm angry, they're always saying, oh, she's doing that again. She's going through that episode again. And so, you know, I grew up thinking that emotions are weakness vulnerability. What is that? I didn't even know that word existed until I went to college and found out who Brene Brown was. Um, transparency, truth speaking, what is any of that? I wasn't allowed to express my emotions and thoughts growing up. I'm a, I'm a, I grew up in Asia where the women also have to be very reserved and we're not allowed to speak up at all. And so throughout life, I had to basically learn myself through, you know, random curriculums that I was getting in college, actually, where I started to walk through this thing about vulnerability, mental health. And then from that journey then came what self-compassion looks like. The thing about that is that I didn't even realize that the theme of everything that I talk about in my speaking engagements or when I just share my life stories, I didn't realize the theme was self-compassion and grace until two or three years ago. So it was very recent. And it just became the highlight of what I believe in, the highlight of my passion, obsession, as you might call it, but also just growing up in a culture of high performance, as well as being so involved in a community of, you know, fighters and jujitsu athletes and Muay Thai fighters. And my girlfriend herself is a professional fighter. And I'm amongst this community of like beast mode, motivate, team no sleep, hustle hard, grind, grind, grind. And you know, once you become an entrepreneur and especially as millennials, it's the hustle hard mentality is always the topic. 
And so I had to explore what is this power of self-compassion and do I really believe in it? Because I have to believe in it in order to stand up for it. Um, so that was my journey that landed me to self-compassion. And I guess I have to be obsessed with it because I have to believe in it so much in order for me to uh, speak more so against the hustle mentality and more so strategy and performance. Ah, beautiful, beautiful segue. So I'm gonna tie this together in essence the word self-compassion, grace, choice. JC, when you talked about the power of choice, but you have to know that there actually is one available. So Andrew Day has this song, Rise Up, and it's one of my little mantra songs that I like to listen to when I'm needing it. <laughs> and some of the lyrics are, I rise up, rise like the day, rise up in spite of the ache. I'll rise up and I'll do it a thousand times again. And in personal journey and evolution from hating ourselves to feeling beat up because of expectations and judgments we will never be able to meet, there's a road we have to take. And the road isn't laid before us. No one tells us like step one, two, three, four, because what we have to go through, our personality, how it's impacted us mentally, physically, emotionally, psychologically is different. And so the road sort of unfolds as we begin to take our first step. So this is where I'd like to go in our conversation is, what was the road you took? What were stops along the road that you took that were really significant for your transformation, your evolution, JC? That's such a great question. And I, I love how this is all coming together. Uh, I was really lucky uh, in my family. My father was the abuser and there was mental illness in a lot of different places in my immediate family. But I was really, really lucky in that mental health care was also something that my family embraced. So I saw my first counselor still doing play therapy probably before I was 10 years old. Mm. Um, I was lucky enough to be in counseling in high school and got diagnosed with depression early and treated for that. And that habit of mental health care. Um, Jiggy, when you mentioned that when you had emotions, they were just like explosions and people like wait for it to be done. There she goes again. It's interesting because that happened in my house too. Like, oh, Jaycee's freaking out again. We're just going to leave her in a room until she stops screaming. And got to go to the counselor and try and figure out what was going on. So my journey has involved a lot of outside guidance. I was resistant to it at different points in my life. I was more resistant when I was young to try and have some other adult help me with this mess that I was living through. And in my late 30s is when I really started reconnecting with counseling again in a very positive and constructive way. So I was lucky for that. That was very foundational to who I am now. And one of the things I tell my clients, um, I'm, a, I'm a certified coach, and most of my clients I work with are also receiving mental health care and destigmatizing that for them. Mm -hmm. You know, occasionally someone's like, oh, and I'm going to see my counselor. I'm like, yes, yes, you're going to see your counselor. I'm going to get confetti and shoot it out of a gun. I'm so excited for you that you have a counselor. You're amazing for having a counselor. That is the best thing in the entire world. And like celebrating that that our emotional selves are something that need to be maintained and helped. We exercise our physical bodies. We have a lot of clear and accepted spiritual practices. 
not as many clear and accepted like mental health care practices in, in the culture that I grew up in. Um, as far as other formative events, when I was in my mid-20s, I was uh, in school for massage therapy, which had been my dream since I was 15. I was like, oh my gosh, so excited, going to finally live my dream. Never went to college. I knew this is what I wanted to do. And a month into my program, unrelated to training, I ruptured my lowest spinal disc, um, causing nerve damage and pain down my right leg. Um, my right foot didn't work right anymore. And that blew my dreams of massage therapy out of the water. So I basically lost a career in my mid-20s. And then two years later, I ruptured another spinal disc, walked away with that, or I should say limped away from that with a walker for three months after surgery and then a leg brace and a cane for two years after. And the disability was frustrating. I'm a very physical person. Even harder than that was the pain, dealing with chronic pain, severe pain every day. And again, that crushing loss of a dream. I'm a healer. I, I came from struggle and helping support others through their struggle and supporting their healing journey as part of who I am. And to lose that healing path that I had wanted for so long, mm. I didn't even realize how hard that hit me for years. So there have been these challenges. And, and Jiggy, you said that you connect with people who have experienced trauma. I really resonated with that. I remember I, I dated one guy when I was younger and I'm like, so what was it like growing up? He's like, oh, my siblings are my best friends. I love my parents. Everything was great. And I was like, oh, that that's, like? <laughs> yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, but our challenges define us, right? They're how we move through our challenges, how we experience them and how we move through them and what we do afterwards really define us. And there's a resonance from people that have experienced challenge. And not every challenge is the same, right? Like someone else doesn't have to lose a career and become disabled and be, you know, abused when they were children for me to resonate with them. It can be it can be a small challenge, but the fact that that they acknowledge that it's there, that that challenge was part of what made them who they are, I think is is really resonant. And that's something that I find a lot, not only in my friends and family, but the clients that I work with. So an acknowledgement also, of challenge. Yeah, because also really important in acknowledging that a challenge is a challenge. There's no comparison scale right. of it. And these are the things that actually develop resiliency within the self when, when we take the time to acknowledge, I survived that. Oftentimes I will say with people, I'm like, you're here today, which means you su you've survived 100% of your worst days. So you have skills. You may just not be aware or have acknowledged the fact that you have skills because you just kind of sweep it under the rug in this comparison act of, look, I didn't have as bad as they did. They really had to struggle. There are people out there who have to work really hard to overcome the circumstances that they're in. And I just had this little thing and they sweep that under the rug, not identifying with or integrating with into their sense of self that they have these attributes that allow them to persevere no matter what the quote unquote challenge might be. I actually would love to share a really quick story around that. Um, one of my close friends grew up with an undiagnosed learning disability. Uh, it's called dysgraphia. He's incredibly intelligent, but writing things on paper, his, his mind doesn't translate things onto paper. So because he had a hard time writing, people 
his teachers thought that he just wasn't trying, that nothing was working. And it wasn't diagnosed as a learning disability. So he grew up with decades of people telling him that he wasn't trying hard enough, that he wasn't smart enough, that he wasn't good enough. So a few years ago, I was talking to him. I'm like, I'm like, honey, have you ever considered seeing a trauma therapist? And he's like, well, I don't have trauma. I'm like, actually years of internalized messages of not being good enough and the way that your self-relationship you have now, how you talk to yourself, I think that you might. And he literally said to me, knowing where you came from and what you've been through, I can't look at you and say that I've experienced trauma. And we had to have that same conversation. I'm like, it doesn't matter what it was. A, 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 a trauma is a trauma is a trauma. Whether it's a car crash where no one is hurt, whether it's being uh, growing up in civil war, whether it's experiencing whatever you experience, it, it is what it is for you. And that's all that matters. Mm-hmm. That's, that's one of the races that self-compassion starts is recognizing that your personal journey is valuable and, and matters for what it is, not in comparison to anyone else. I'm so glad you brought that up, Teresa. Let's just do a round of applause for that. Yay. <laughs> we need your we need your horn there, Jiggy. So Jiggy, your your experience, your your bus stops along the way, what were the those pivotal moments you noticed in your journey were essential to your own evolution into self-compassion and grace and self-care? Yeah. At the time, I don't think I realized that these would be stops that are leading me towards self-compassion. I think that that is the final destination that I've come to now. However, when I was going through it all in life, I, I missed it all. I, the bus just kept going. It, it, it's as if the bus was going and going, crashed, somehow kept rolling, crashed, lost the tire here and there, crashed, keep, kept going and kept going and going. And that was just dragging along across the finish line. Um, there were no moments where I realized, ah, mental, this is mental health related. I should seek help. I should see a therapist. There were no moments like that until a few years ago. Um, my past story throughout life does include um, sexual assault. It does include um me losing home to fire all of a sudden and I became suddenly homeless that my mother had a heart attack and I was 17 years old having to grow up alone in Queens New York and having to make it um and so many different stories around there I grew up with toxic relationship with my family so there's a whole another story there um then my mother passed away and I had to basically make it on my own again and I got diagnosed with chronic illness so I had to take care of that as well there's just so much in my past however I never realized that some of the things that I went through especially because they literally happened back to back to back once I hit 17 years old there were events that literally happened back to back to back to back to back and to me I was the type of person who I go to my mom's funeral and then I get on the bus to go back to college to finish school. And my professors would be like, I can't believe you're here. And I'm like, why? What's wrong? What's the matter? And I didn't even think about seeing a therapist because, you know, at the time, it's kind of like there's a stigma about those kind of people who might see a therapist. So like, who am I to see a therapist? There's nothing wrong with me. The only idea that came to mind was that when I went to my school's um, pharmacy to pick up my medicine for my chronic illness, there was a poster there that said, oh, are you experiencing this? 
are you crying or like things like that and it was like a checkbox and I said you know you as a student you get five free sessions with the therapist and I was like okay I'll go and that was the only reason why I went to see a therapist after my mom passed away not even realizing that it's not just my mom passing away it's just literally everything that happened before that were traumatic as well I didn't even realize that these were identified and labeled as trauma until I saw my first or my second therapist um, in 2020, actually last year, which like everybody started to see a therapist in 2020. Mm -hmm. um, and that's when I really started to, I always studied self-awareness and emotional intelligence. However, I always believed in like, oh, get to the root cause of everything and try to heal that versus like, oh, it, acknowledge it as trauma, acknowledge that it could do something to the brain and affect the actual brain. Um, see what that looks like to, I don't know, for some people, it looks like medication. For some people, it looks like con consistent different kinds of therapy out there. Um, and so the reason why I say that I think that I just like missed all the stops with the bus is because even when I attempted suicide with my own insulin and syringe in my college dorm room after everything had happened, even when I attempted suicide and survived it, I didn't think to see a therapist. I didn't think to seek help. I didn't even think to tell anybody. I didn't come out with that truth until 2019. I didn't tell anybody. And that happened back in 2012, 2013. That's how much I've missed the stops. That's I have no stops. I've I've come to this final destination. I've arrived at self-compassion to realize, ah, everything that's happened to me has to be acknowledged as trauma and go through the journey of like professional mental care, mental health processes and steps. Um so because it's not just a story. What was your flash? your flashball moment in 2019? What was the moment where you went, mm, it's this, this is it? So, um, so I I'm in this Facebook group for adults with type one diabetes, that's my chronic illness. And there was this woman who posted, who posted that the night before her husband who has type one diabetes had overdosed on insulin and she found them passed out on the ground. And I was like, oh, that's exactly what I did. But the thing is that when I did it in, the co in my college dorm room, I didn't see a movie where somebody did it. I don't know where this idea came from that like, oh, I have, when you have a chronic illness like type one diabetes where we save our own lives every single day because we have to choose to inject insulin and calculate the, the food that we're eating and things like that. It's our choice to actually save our lives every single day. So nothing really like inspired me to be like, ah, that's how I can, you know, try to die. Nothing really like did that. It just, something just entered my mind and I did it. But when I hear that somebody else did the exact same thing, I'm like, oh, it's not just me. And it's, it, that means that it can't be just this guy either. And we can't leave it up to chance that somebody's just going to find somebody laying on the floor. And that was in late 2019. And that's when I was like, you know what? Mental health in our community with a chronic illness type of diabetes has to be talked about a little bit more. Um, mental health is still like a fairly new topic in our community as well, because we're gonna be so busy talking about how hard it is to live with this thing, but it's also so burdening for our mental capacity and our bandwidth 
mm-hmm. to make so many different choices every single day. Um, so yeah, that's something that sparked in 2019 that made me realize like I need to talk about this a little bit more and take it a little bit more seriously. Mm. So how does self-compassion play a role in life is a pretty broad topic for me to, or statement for me to say, how does self-compassion play you know, a role in life? Although I would like to leave it that broad because then its applications mean we can go wherever we would like to go in this conversation. But when you think about self-compassion for how you use it and how you help other people use it, how is self-compassion part of that equation? And maybe we could do a little bit of JC, I use it this way. Jiggy, I use it this way. JC, I use it this way. Teresa, oh, I've heard of this. Jiggy, I do that. And and let's just navigate the next maybe 10 minutes, really talking about how self-compassion shows up to make impact for whatever we might be wanting to achieve. Can I jump in first with this one? Because there has been something on this that has been at the front of my mind for the past couple of weeks. Um, Self-compassion defines for us what we deserve. And in order to get help, in order for like example, mental health care, it doesn't work unless you want it to. It doesn't work unless you think you deserve it. You cannot force mental health care on someone. If if they're gonna resist it, it, they'll resist it. So part of self-compassion is recognizing that you are worthy and that you deserve good and you deserve better. And for those of us that grew up in trauma and think that we deserve to feel like like level 11 out of 10 anxiety all the time because we don't know anything else, we can't figure that out until someone can come from the outside oftentimes and keep telling us, hey, do you know you deserve a little kindness? Did you know you deserve a little compassion? Like when you finally saw that poster, Jiggy, and you're like, oh, hey, these are all things that are that are hard things. Oh, I didn't really realize that. Maybe I deserve a little support with them. So self-compassion and deserving and self-worth all tie in together for me. Yeah. You can't see it, listeners. And she's like clapping, very excited. She's saying, yes, she's not snapping her fingers off. Like, I know, I'm in church. <laughs> I'm totally in church. So share, share what you're thinking about. Um, that made me remember that um, I'm, I've only recently started to explore that I possibly experience uh, high-functioning anxiety. And the reason why I'm saying that is because Ms. JC just shared the importance around basically awareness in that when we need help, it's okay to, um, first we must be deserving of it. And so, especially those with trauma and for me, my inner dialogue for so long has has looked like, why would I seek help when I don't think I need help or I don't even know what kind of help I need um, or who am I to deserve help? Somebody out there must be going through something worse. Uh, things like that. So my self dialogue for so long has been like, ah, I don't need help or things like that. Um, so that my dialogue, when it comes to performance, because I'm a performance coach, when it comes to performance, it just kind of kept repeating this narrative of, I need to do more. I need to do more. I'm not good enough. I need to do more. Who am I to ask for help when I'm not even producing very much, like succeeding very much. Like I I need to do more. And that was just constantly repetitive because that was the external dialogue that came into me when I was growing up. And for so long, I thought that that was just, you know, that's just who I am. Normal. But then I realized that, oh, I came across this Instagram post about high functioning anxiety. And it says, oh, when you have anxiety, 
you're high functioning and other people may perceive you as successful and excellent and you're always producing and you're always working so you seem like you have it all together but on the inside there's this dialogue that's like i need to do more i need to be excellent it's not enough i have anxiety over this dialogue that i had over something i said or is this good enough this constant like restlessness and they also said that um when you seek rest you seek rest to seek peace and not fun and I was like, oh, I'm constantly looking for peace and quiet. And I'm, I'm from New York and I was always like, I just need some peace and quiet. Like people leave me the fuck alone. Yeah. However, when I read that, I was like, you know, when was the last time I had fun? And so when it comes to self-compassion for performance, I'm, I'm usually talking about the importance of rest and taking breaks and also identi identifying what kind of rest and break the person need in order for it to be the most efficient and productive for that person. Because somebody can take PTO, pay time off, take the day off from work, but then be on the phone and scrolling all day. And then they go back to work and not feel rested. And they're like, why am I, well, I still feel burnt out. And that's not effective rest because you know we could spend all day just scrolling on the phone. Therefore, I'm talking about rest and um, the effectiveness of rest and taking breaks a lot. However, um, also just putting in the fun there, always putting always, it's always about awareness and what we need and identifying what we need and how we can effectively fill that need. And that looks differently for all of us. Um, so yeah, for me, when it comes to self-compassion, it looks a lot like rest and taking breaks. I mean, that's one of them, but that's where my head goes to first. And sometimes there's actually a lot of power in the substitution of the word need and deserve. And sometimes our first initial step is you have to figure out what it is that you deserve and make sure that your self-worth is up. And like that, that's a lot of work sometimes. There's a lot of layers to get through to elevate someone's self-worth for them to ask for help, seek help, believe that they deserve the help. However, it's a little bit of an easier step to get to what do I need to feel well? It's a, it's a bit of a babier step. What do I need to feel well? Oh, I need X, Y, and Z. Oh, okay, let me go and seek out a, getting some of those because I might be able to get them myself or I might ask someone else for a little bit of help to get them as well. And it doesn't seem like it's such a big chasm to try to leap across in our personal belief and then our desire to actually fulfill some of those personal beliefs. The other thing that comes up quite a bit uh, when I'm working with clients around this subject is the ego, the false sense of self, the belief that I'm inferior to, which means I'm not deserving, or superior to, to which means I should be getting all of these things without any sort of effort or trying, or I should be getting it more than somebody else simply because of X, Y, and Z. And the management and acknowledgement of the presence of the ego speaking, as you said, Jiggy, the internal narrative of inferiority or uh, superiority, being able to recognize that, oh, that's not actually me. That's just a lot of programming, social media influence, leftover noise from who knows where sometimes that's looping inside of my head. And the capacity to rest, pause, slow down, stop, is generally where we actually have the capacity to then hear it. 
like acknowledge it here and go, whoa, hang, hang on a second. Where's that coming from? So your best personal practice, your most significant strategy when you're working with other people, what are some of these, this is what we do to develop our self-compassion. What are some of these strategies that you put in play for yourself or you put in play when you're coaching and working with other people? JC, you want to share your best one with us and then Jiggy, you share yours. Oh yeah. And actually it, it builds beautifully on what you just said, Teresa. What I love about that is bringing up this idea of ego and, and what it comes down to is judging self and judging others. Am I worthy? Are they worthy? And then this like balance and scale. So I found a framework that really resonates with me called positive intelligence. I use it with a lot of my clients and it takes the coaching concept of mental saboteurs. Other coaches will recognize this, you know, saboteur, inner critic, maybe gremlin, they call it those voices in our head that put us down and it breaks it down into a really approachable framework. And the one saboteur they say everyone has is the judge mm -hmm. and it's you, it's how you judge yourself judge others and judge circumstances. So I have been a coach for years. I've been working with emotional intelligence for years. And the way that this framework broke it down was so approachable and so easy for me to integrate. Like, oh, I see I'm judging someone else. Oh, I see that I'm judging myself. Oh, I see that I'm judging a circumstance. And the idea that it really, really, um, pushes on people is the idea of blameless discernment or observation without judgment. So if I judge myself, if I do something bad, I'm like, oh my God, Jay-Z, you're such a dumbass. How could you do that? To be able to say as soon as possible, ideally in the moment, but sometimes it's not until later, like, oh, you know what? I see that I just call myself a dumbass and that wasn't nice. And that was a habit. It was an old voice. It was an old saboteur. It was a perfectionist. It was something else. And I don't really want that to happen again. So in the future, when I'm frustrated in this circumstance, instead of calling myself a dumbass, maybe I'll say, hey, look at how human you are in that this wasn't perfect because no one's perfect and it's okay to not be perfect. Um, and one of the hardest things I found, and this resonates with so many of my clients, is those internal voices. Mm -hmm. um, there's a concept called multiplicity of self. Like there's a ton of internal voices that make up what we hear when we're thinking. And if you think about it like a pile of marbles, whatever marble is on top is the loudest one and that's the one you're gonna hear. So these saboteur voices push to the top, they're the loudest, they're always shouting. And how do you flick them off the top and let other voices come up so you can hear them? Um, but this idea of those loud voices try to tell us that they're protecting us. They're trying to keep us safe. And sometimes they're a comfort. Sometimes trashing myself is comforting. It feels good. I've developed a positive neurochemical response to a maladaptive behavior that may have protected me when I was younger, but does not serve me in connection and relationship now. And recognizing, wow, I physically actually feel good and comforted by calling myself a name and curling in a little ball and feeling worthless. Mm -hmm. This isn't a feedback loop that's serving me. What choices can I make in this situation to do anything differently and break that feedback loop? Beautiful, awesome strategies. Love that. Let's just call that the visualize the marbles. <laughs> visualize the marbles, watch the judge of the self, the other, the circumstance, flick the marble, let another voice rise. Beautiful. I once heard a podcast where they talked about less listening to yourself, more speaking to yourself. 
So if you have the opportunity to be able to craft statements that you know you want to speak that are in the realm of self-compassion, self-love, grace, then you have these back pocket statements that when you do hear the judge or the critic, you have the statement ready to use it in the moment's notice. This is what we call like behind the curtain work. Do the work behind the curtain so when you're in the moment, you have it accessible to use because in the moment is sometimes really hard to catch it because all of the emotions are surfacing at the same time and we're just in that sort of reflex response. Just real quick, I, I, when I'm working with my clients, I tell them you practice when you're chill so that you have the skill when you're hot. You build that habitual response and that mental muscle memory when you're chill so that when you start freaking out, you're like, oh, boop, boop, there it is. Oh, love it. Practice when you're chill so you can do it when you're hot. Sweet, Jiggy, you're all over it. What do you have? What, what's your best stuff? How do you teach people or what are you practicing personally yourself? I actually um, do the same thing. The first thing that Ms. JC shared, and for me, I kind of call it like changing the narrative or flipping the narrative. So when the client identifies the, when the trigger goes off and they, they are able to identify the first mean thing they might say to themselves, just kind of look at it and then flip the narrative and what's the positive thing that you could tell yourself or what's the truth? Is this true and what is the truth? And uh, for me, I went, to that based off of Miss Byron Katie's work, which is called The Work, but it's basically flipping the script. Anyways, go YouTube it. <laughs> um, so since she mentioned that, I will say this, when I talk to professionals and corporate companies, um, especially in 2020, when the work at home order has really impacted so many lives that lead to burnout. And a lot of different people went into different kinds of circumstances where, you know, some of them are parents and they need to start homeschooling their kids as well and be able to mm -hmm. attend meetings, but their baby might be crying or there's dogs everywhere or they just don't have the personal space. And therefore it's really easy to become even more burned out uh, quicker. And so this, I'm a huge believer in self-reflection questions and facilitating and just having conversations and dialogues. And so I usually give a complete the sentence or reflection questions. And for this one in particular, it looks like, how is your professional, how are the professional expectations impeding with your personal needs? And so more so the fill in the sentence, complete the sentence then looks like, what I'm doing right now is this, but what I'm really wanting or needing is this. And usually in a workshop setting where, you know, the company is there, even the leaders are there and the employees are there. And it can look like, what I'm doing right now is trying to answer all of the Slack messages, answer all of these piling emails, and on top of that, go on these back-to-back -back Zoom meetings because apparently there's just no respect to personal boundaries anymore now that we're in a pandemic. Um, but there, you know, in 2020, there were these back-to-back -back meetings for so long and just less bandwidth and things like that. Um, however, what they were needing was you know, respecting their bandwidth or their boundaries or just communication amongst the work, workplace where they set the culture of accountability to make sure that the company place are taking that rest. Um, however, why that's also important is because companies then started to give out, you know, unlimited PTO. Go take your PTOs, go on your vacations. But then the problem there is that some employees don't actually know when to take a break, no, how to take a break or they go on a break they're 
in a tropical island, may, maybe, but then they're still answering emails. Mm -hmm. When we ask, why are you answering emails during vacation? They say, my manager does the same thing. Therefore, it sets the tone and culture of the workplace. And so, yeah, just really recognizing, coming to awareness again about what the personal need really is and not being so shy or shameful about it because there's a lot of shame and embarrassment around wanting to take PTO. Mm -hmm. um, just so just like canceling that culture and creating awareness around needs again to perform at an optimal level. Hell yeah. In every organization, it's what we want. It's what they're craving for and asking for. And then their behaviors are almost always in direct conflict to it. So yeah, just follow through with what you actually want. It seems so simple, difficult in execution. Thank you both so, so much for bringing your personal stories, your kick-ass strategies that you're working with, the kind of work you're also doing with people. You know, as people listen, they will have heard when I work with clients, when I speak with corporations, and they're going to say, I would like to have them come in and talk to us about that. So, <laughs> Jiggy, how can people get in touch with you? My website is jiggyyoon.com. My Instagram, because I'm a millennial, my Instagram is jiggy underscore yoon. Uh, my apparel that Ms. Teresa mentioned is called Vulnerability is Dope. And right now for the rest of the inventory, the uh, proceeds will be, it was going to stop AAPI hate. That was the first batch. Now moving forward, it will be going to the Asian Mental Health Collective. Wonderful. Thank you. And JC, how can people get in touch with you? Well, my website is jcmlkowski.com, but no one in the world can spell that, including me and my family. So uh, if people go to imeltcowsonskis.com, because that's what I tell people, if you want to remember my name, just think imeltcowsonskis. Uh, that'll redirect you to my website. If they're interested in positive intelligence and go to pq for you, uh, that's either pq for number four Y-O-U or P-Q-F-O-R-Y-O-U. Those will redirect you to more information about the positive intelligence framework. I'm also on LinkedIn. I promise I'm the only JC Emelkowski there. It will not be hard to find me. Uh, and that is where I primarily connect with people. Fantastic. Thank you both so much. All right. Are you ready for the rapid fire Q&A? I'm really curious what kind of questions these are, so. <laughs> They're gonna be amazing. Okay. You're gonna be amazing. You know, shake it out if you need to. Like, just, I'm, I'm ready, I'm ready. It's like five questions, rapid fire means answer the first thing that comes to mind because there's no right or wrong. It's just whatever you answer, <laughs> a little bit of fun. Okay. All right. Graphs. Yeah, that's, that right. that's right. Okay. Okay, <laughs> number one. Which emotion catches you off guard most often? First thought was despair. I know anger, I know sadness, I know anxiety, but despair sneaks in and I don't know it's there. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh snap, that's what's happening. Oh, I don't know. I was going to say rage, but then it doesn't catch me off guard because I'm usually angry first. So <laughs> that's my answer. I don't know the answer to this question. Okay. What do you do to regulate that emotion in the moment? 
I can answer first. Um, I do box breathing, breathing through the belly. And for me, it looks like three, four seconds each time. Nice. I try to let it pass through. I tend to ruminate on emotions and hold on to them for that weird maladaptive comfort. So when I realize that I'm in despair, I try to feel it really hard. Where is it physically in my body and let it process through. Uh, and often I will go hug a dog because my dogs are like the best things on the planet. Mm. Energy, trans dog. energy transfer. <laughs> really powerful in our emotional management is energy transfer. So mm -hmm. it's a great strategy. No wonder it works so well. Okay, question three. What is next in your personal evolution? Mm. I am getting... Uh, in next weekend or so, I'm getting certified by the world's number one motivational speaker. Um, and that's super exciting because he's, so, he's the, actually the reason why I quit my first full-time job when I was 22. So it's crazy that life comes around and I'm getting certified by him. Yeah. Full circle moment. Mm -hmm. um, my next personal mission is I have started working with an online fitness coach after so many years of limited physical ability. Last year, I connected with amazing physical therapist. And during the pandemic, I actually lost 25 pounds and gained a lot of muscle and functionality that I had in my 20s before my initial injury. So I was really excited to find a professional to help me elevate that journey because as an entrepreneur, my physical health is what defines my business, my ability in my business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Sometimes I think I'm just going to take a little tangent here, you know, because we're in similar fields of work where we work with people and the emotional undertone is always there. It's something we're always addressing. We're talking about difficult things and the management of those difficult things requires a shitload of energy. <laughs> Your brain is on high looking for glucose to process these kinds of emotions so that we can get to the other good stuff our brain likes to do, which is critical thinking and decision-making and all that other kind of stuff, right? And so to have endurance, which is often achieved through physical movement and exercise is really important in our line of work. We have to be fit to be fit for the work that we're doing, which is, I'm so glad that you found someone that allows you to even elevate your performance higher. That's just fantastic. And I just want to throw this out there because Jakey, you mentioned the grind culture earlier and like that whole grind, grind, grind. Oh, that kills me. That kills <laughs> me because I, I was diagnosed with PTSD and anxiety at 39, which was two years ago. Mm. And that the emotional toll and the physical toll of that is a killer. So instead of grind, 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 it's make a schedule that works for you. My 40 hour work week includes 15 hours of exercise minimum. If it's a walk, if it's going to the gym, whatever it is, I don't work 40 hours and then try to find the time to work out. Mm -hmm. working out as part of how I run my business. And especially for entrepreneurs, consider that you don't need to work a 60 hour week. Maybe you need to work 20 hours and take care of yourself for 20 hours. And that's your week. Come on. That's, that's the dream. <laughs> as, my, as my age group would say, period. <laughs> okay, drop. Two, more questions, two more questions to go. <laughs> there are four. When your best friend is having a meltdown, JC, what do you say to them? I just let them have it. I tell them it's okay. It's okay to melt down. It's okay to freak out. It's okay to feel how they feel that it's natural. And if they hold it in, it's just going to get worse. So let it out, let it through and don't judge themselves for it. Nice. Jiggy, what do you tell them? 
I don't. I don't say anything. Um, I just kind of, when you say my best friend having a meltdown, I'm thinking about my girlfriend who has ADHD and therefore her meltdowns are like, it could be triggered by something very like the wind blowing or something. Um, so I let her have her own dialogue first. I let her just let it be her experience. And if she wants to be held and if I have permission to you know, touch and hold her, then I do that. If she wants space, then I give her that. Um, if she wants to say, have a dialogue, then we can go there. But initially I don't, initially I don't say anything. Nice. That's a lot of impulse control to not want to step in and fix. <laughs> Question five. In this moment, what are you most looking forward to or most hopeful for? I just consistently find it a blessing every day that the career I'm in is incredibly fulfilling for me and making the world a better place, which has always been something that I wanted to do. I am just most excited and honored that both my personal and professional lives come together on that idea of serving others, serving myself so I may serve others and serving the world. And I'm just so excited that that happens and that it gets to keep happening. Mm. Whew, that's a good one. Um, excitement, again, I'm just really excited about the certification because so cool. <laughs> it's, it's been a really, really hard process. However, I'm just really honored to be able to say that he's somebody who trusts me and he directly told me that he sees God in my confidence and that he sees his own energy and how I speak. And I'm honored that I was given the opportunity to be able to go through the process and be, be able to say, I am blank name certified. You'll find out in like the next week or two who that is. I'm just honored to be able to be aligned with his community and just keep pressing forward. It's not that I'm depending on it. It's just that like, damn, you know what? I can't make it. I can't be recognized. So, yeah. Yeah. Own it. Both of us here are like, hell yeah. <laughs> yes. Your dream. It's a dream of yours and it's coming true. If we don't set the dream, what are we working? What are we working towards? What are we aiming towards? Not that, not that everything has to be a forward thing. Sometimes being present is also really good. However, we do all create for ourselves that dream life of what is it that I need? It's not a practice run. I don't get another one of these, at least as far as I know, I don't get another one of these lives. So I'm not practicing right now. This is it. <laughs> Might as well put two feet in and just go for it, right? Thank you both so much for, for being here today. It was such a pleasure to like take a big juicy bite out of this conversation with you both. Thank you so much for having us. And you know what? I think there should be part two. <laughs> I agree. I, I loved this. This was an amazing conversation. Teresa, so nice to connect with you again. Jiggy, amazing to meet you. Um, I, I resonate so much with, with your spirit and who you are. And I know our journeys have been different, but I'm just glad that we're in the world together. Look out world, here we come. <laughs> thanks for listening to this episode of tnt please share subscribe rate and review and when you're ready for your personal evolution check out reese at trueselfcoaching.com and for your emotional intelligence revolution check out Teresa at iqeqtq.com